All right, please turn with me to John chapter 8. Starting the book of John this morning. Uh, this, this week, Blake put a question up on Facebook to kind of give us some, uh, some food for thought for the sermon. And the question was basically, what is the most outrageous, crazy, ridiculous thing you have heard yourself say that you never anticipated that you would say as a parent. And I thought I'd share with you a few of the highlights this morning. Okay, unexpected parenting phrases. First, get your tongue out of your nose. As a parent, you just never thought, you know, before you're parenting, that's something I'd say. Yeah, you never imagined these words would come out of your mouth. Don't lick your armpit. Now, sweetie, what have we said about licking the bathroom wall? You notice the theme here. People aren't food. Stop putting your sister in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I got a few more for you. Snot is not a condiment. (laughs) Grub worms want to be in the ground, not in the car. If you want to carry those toys around, get a bag. Don't put them in your underwear. (laughs) And then... It's my personal favorite. We, we actually heard this, or a permutation on this. If you're going to wear your undies on your head, please get a clean pair. <laughs> uh, uh, parenting throws a lot of curveballs at us, a lot of unexpected things, uh, a lot of challenges. Moms especially, we know that you carry the brunt of the weight often, and uh, it's hard. It's difficult. You not only hear yourself saying unexpected things, you, you find yourself living under uh, unexpected burdens. Expectations that you put on yourself or you feel like others around you are putting on you to be perfect in some respect. And I hope that these words from uh, Jesus this morning are going to give you a sense of encouragement. Right? I want to read together from John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Verse 36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom, perfect freedom. Jesus says, I I offer to you absolute and perfect freedom. What a promise. But for most of us, I think we don't live our lives with this great sense of freedom. We live under burdens, expectations, uh, pressure. How do we escape that? Uh, This morning what I want to do is I want to identify uh, four burdens that we often live under. Burden of comparison, fear, guilt, pride. I want to identify these. Then I want to expose the lies that drive these burdens. And then I want us to talk a little bit about the truth that sets us free from these lies. Let's begin with gaining freedom from this burden of comparison. It's Teddy Roosevelt who once said, comparison is the thief of joy. Whenever I think about comparison, I think about that quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Comparison is the thief of joy. It robs your joy. And we all are susceptible to this trap. It's just human nature. We look around and we see others. We compare ourselves based on what they possess or what they've accomplished or their personality or their status in life. We we compare ourselves. And sometimes we compare well 
And the result is we feel quite proud. But more often than not, we don't compare well and we feel uh, depressed, guilty, burdened, because we just simply don't feel like we measure up. I've discovered that this problem is really exacerbated by uh, social media these days. You don't see actually people posting a lot of the negative things. You don't see moms, for example, taking a picture of their hamburger helper meal, right? <laughs> or there you go. It's true, but it's not online, right? And you don't see a video of their kids sitting for 30 minutes on the bench while all the other kids are playing or a video of their kids sitting at the table and struggling with math. No, their kids at the whiteboard write E equals MC squared. Wow, that's just amazing, right? That, you see all the positive things, the wonderful things. You see this incredible craft that this mom did with her kids or this extravagant meal, or the vacation that we took, and it's all really wonderful. And then, you know, you see these moms every once in a while who do put a negative thing up there. And you know, you say in your mind, you say, gosh, what a whiner. Right? Unfriend, unfollow. I'll just keep looking at those things that burden me, that make me feel like I am not adequate. Anybody ever watch the, uh, the Cosby show years ago? Okay, all right. Students are gone, so I can use that illustration. (laughs) The Huxtable family was a great illustration of a family that stayed intact. In many respects, a great illustration. On the other hand, Claire Huxtable, the mom, was not really a a realistic role model. They had five kids, and sure, they had discipline problems, but by the end of every 30-minute episode, it was worked out. There was resolution, right? The house was cleaned up. Claire always looked amazing. There was great food on the table. Things were put together. And she was a partner in her law firm all the while. I mean, it's just really seriously. I suspect for a lot of you moms that Proverbs 31 is like your least favorite chapter in the Bible. But I want to clue you in on something. Proverbs 31 is not describing one person. It's not a a single mom who does all of these things as wife and mom every single day. It's a list of of illustrations of what godly women can do. There's a lie that not just moms, but all of us labor under. And it's this this lie of, of comparison that we must measure up. And so often we find that we don't. No matter what your role in life, whether it's mom or dad or husband or wife or student or coworker or friend or neighbor, if you look hard enough, you're going to find somebody who's doing it better. And you can be tempted to believe this lie, which is I don't measure up. And I must measure up because success in life is not just measuring up, but being a little bit better than everyone else. It's not enough that God looks down on me and he smiles. I must win the game here. Always. Now, why is it important that we expose the lie? Look with me in John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said to the Jews who were rejecting him, he said, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. In other words, all all these things that we struggle with in life, all these burdens are fundamentally based upon lies that we believe, lies that Satan has, has brought into our own personal lives or into the world in general. And when we believe those lies about God and who he is or about ourselves or about others, we become enslaved to lies. Read with me again chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But not everyone standing there believed in him. Some answered and said to him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I hope that you see just a little bit of humor in that statement in verse 33. It's Bible humor, so it's not like normal humor. (laughs) You just bust out laughing, but it's... It's funny, nevertheless. Okay, so he says, they say, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. That is factually insane. Or that's just crazy. They had been enslaved to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. They were enslaved at this point in time. They were not free. In fact, most of Jewish history, the majority of Jewish history was a history of slavery. And they say to Jesus, we have never yet ever been enslaved to anyone. That's denial, right? I mean, that's huge denial. That's, that's crazy. And if we don't expose the lies in our own life, if we live in denial, then we can't experience freedom. And maybe it was just utter and absolute denial by them. Maybe it was that they were blinded and they didn't realize that life could be better. Or maybe they'd reach this level of some comfort that was an acceptable level of slavery, and so they didn't want to fight for more. Okay, but Jesus says, no, I want you to be really free, free indeed. And the way that you do that is you begin by exposing these lies in your life. I don't measure up. And success in life is measuring up and even exceeding the people around me. That's how I live well. Here's the truth that exposes the lie. You are absolutely and completely unique. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. The one who made the universe is so exceptionally creative that he would get bored making any two people ever alike in the history of humanity. And so every single individual, God in his power and creativity made absolutely and utterly unique. And then laid out out a pathway of wonderful good works that each person could do. And he set that course in motion before time even began. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Success in your life is walking the path that God made for you, just you, only you. I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 14. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? 
But now God has placed the members, each one of them individually, in the body, just as he desired. There's a second truth. It's this. God compares you to no one. God is not comparing you in your life to anyone. Because he made you absolutely and utterly unique. In fact, there's a role that you can fill that no one else can fill. And you won't fill that role when you're constantly looking at others and comparing yourself to others. Now, how do we apply this? Well, I want to make a particular application to husbands this morning. Husbands, I want you to devote yourself this week to being your wife's cheerleader. I want you to to praise all the good that she does, and I want you to overlook any deficiency you think you see. For a week. That'd be great if it went longer. Your wife might become a little addicted to this next week. Try it for a week, okay? Just start. Praise everything, and not just praising the things she does, but praise who she is, okay? Her character, her personality, certainly the sacrifices that she made. Praise, 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 praise. Husbands, that's your job. If you're not a husband, you can do this as well, okay? Think of one person that you can breathe encouragement into that person's life, okay? Just one person this week, and you might do it through email, phone call, letter, note, whatever. Just pick a a way and a person to do this. I want you to think about the people in your your life right now. Is there anyone in your life that would say to you, you know, my, my encouragement tank is just saturated, you know, and you say a word of praise to them, they say, no, 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 please, I cannot stand any more encouragement from you, right? Is there, is there anybody in your life that would say that? I doubt it. So pick one of those people, and that's your job for this week, okay? That's your job. To encourage them and just breathe life into them so that they don't feel any need to look around and compare to anyone else. The truth will set you free from comparison. Second, the truth will set you free from fear. As our responsibilities in life increase, it's easy for fear to begin to overwhelm us. As a single man, consequences of my decisions were not that, that far-reaching. I became married. It began to uh, significantly affect another person. As a father, it affects two more people. My job is I've had more responsibility. It affects more and more and more people. And what normally happens to folks as their responsibilities in life increase and they move on, so does their fear. Rather than confidence, they grow in fear. Because failure or mistakes have such far-reaching consequences. There was a study by the National Institutes of Health uh, several years ago that discovered that uh, fully 18% of Americans struggle with extreme anxiety. 18%, almost 20%, almost, almost a fifth of Americans struggle with extreme anxiety. A, a huge proportion have this underlying sense of, of fear and worry. And you know, if God is not big, then we should worry, right? If God doesn't care, he's uninvolved, he doesn't know, he doesn't see, he's not powerful, then we should fear the future. But really, that's not what God is like, is it? Okay? That's not what God is like. What is the lie? The lie is this, God isn't big enough. God doesn't see, God doesn't care, God doesn't know, God isn't powerful enough, therefore I must be in control of my present and my future. And that's going to make me anxious. I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, 
Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. They're not frantic. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And here's the truth that exposes the lie and overcomes it. God is powerful and caring. God cares. God pays attention. He pays attention to the lilies of the field. I remember uh, doing a camping trip with my dad one time, and we were climbing up the face of this rock, and, and I reached up, and there was this tiny little cluster of flowers And I thought for a moment, no one has ever seen that. And I thought, no, someone has seen that. And someone cares about that. I may be the only human who ever sees those flowers. But God knows and God cares. And this passage leapt into my mind. Of how much more value then are you? God knows, God cares, and God has power. Power to clothe the lilies of the field. Power to see and to know and to care about the sparrow that falls. And you are so much more valuable to him than that. There's a second truth. Worry doesn't help. It's pointless. And when I was a kid, I remember my mom reading me this passage. I remember my mom reminding me of this passage and reminding me of this truth when I would get worried and anxious and we would stop and we would pray. And she would remind me that worry didn't help, that I needed to address my energy toward things that actually helped. Pray. And pray for God's peace, comfort, guidance, and then get busy on doing what you can do. But don't worry, because you cannot add a moment, a minute, even even an hour to the span of your life. You can reduce it by worry, but you certainly cannot add to it. So, therefore, do not worry. Third, truth will set you free from guilt. Romans 3.23, anybody know it? If you did a wanna, you probably memorized it, maybe one of the first ones. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That means you're in good company. Okay? Uh, that means everybody here in this room, everybody, we're all in good company. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one outside of the boundaries of that verse. Every one of us has, has sinned. Every one of us has failed. Some of us have sinned in ways that have, have created consequences, right? That we, we simply cannot undo. That is for absolutely every person on the planet. What differentiates people is that some people learn to move through guilt into freedom. Everyone has guilt from sin. Some learn to move through that guilt and into freedom. Now here's the lie. I'm beyond forgiveness. Now this is one of the great lies from the pit of hell that Satan whispers in our ears constantly. My sin is too big. My sins are too many. God doesn't forget. God can't forgive. That's a lie. That's a lie. 
There is no sin God won't forgive. None whatsoever. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do that God didn't know that you were going to do. And that's exactly why Jesus died, to remove the debt of that sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. The little stuff that he can manage that doesn't overwhelm him or surprise him. No. No. Big stuff, little stuff. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from absolutely and utterly all unrighteousness. That's why Jesus died. So the moment that you first trust in Jesus Christ, God is righteous to remove that debt of sin because Jesus paid for it. It would be wrong for Jesus not to forgive you because it's already been paid. His death on the cross and his resurrection proved that God accepted that payment and that God has power over death. That is true the first time you trust Jesus. That is true if you are a believer and you sin because believers do sin. Every time that we do sin and that fellowship is, is hindered, we still belong to God. We are his children. We can never be removed from his hand because God is faithful. But we sin and we're not enjoying that fellowship and we come and we say, God, you're right, I confess. I say what you say about my sin. Immediately, God forgives. Why? Because it's righteous for him to forgive. It's right because Christ paid for it. And so he is faithful to us and he is righteous. He always keeps his promises and the debt is removed permanently. We will have eternity with God and the debt is removed in time. We can have fellowship with God. There's no sin that God cannot remove. No sin God cannot forgive. Second truth, there's no failure he can't redeem. What I mean by that is that there are consequences that we bring into our lives and in the lives of others because of the choices that we make. It happens. But even the worst things that we do, God can use those in our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can take your worst failures and create something good from it? Let me remind you again of Romans 8, 28. We know this. God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Not God causes some things. God causes, causes the blessings he's given or God causes the little bad things that you've done to work. No, he said, God causes all things to work together for good. That's the power of God. I've known people who've made huge missteps in life. Huge. And God has taken those and he's redeemed them. He's bought them back and done something good from them. Why? Because God's that big. God is that powerful to take even our worst missteps. Maybe it's wisdom that we learn. Maybe it's wisdom that we're able to pass on to someone else so they don't make the same decisions that we've made. Maybe it's teaching us to forgive. Teaching us to train others how to forgive. Maybe humbling us to seek forgiveness. God can do amazing and powerful things through your worst mistakes, through even everything that has been done to you. Because he's that big, he is that powerful. The truth can set you free from guilt. That is freedom. To know that no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've done in life, God can work it to some good. That gives us hope, right? Now, fourth, truth will set you free from pride. Here's the lie. I am indispensable. Not, I'm useful and I can do some good things, but I'm indispensable. I'm necessary. 
I'm necessary. The more I believe this lie, the more commitments I make because I begin to see myself as indispensable in so many different areas. I, I must be here, and I must be here, and I must be here. I am absolutely and utterly indispensable in all of these roles and responsibilities in life. And what is the symptom of that? Busyness. Become busier and busier and busier and busier. Why? Because our society applauds and praises busy people. Busy people are important people. If you're not busy, you're obviously not important. If you are busy, you must be important, because busy people are important people. So I, I better be busy, Right? I need to at least appear indispensable in some form or fashion. Well, you know, I'll tell you, when I had some health issues a few years back and I wasn't around here and I couldn't do much at home at all, I discovered something uh, horribly freeing. (laughs) Not indispensable. You know, I mean, were there some things that didn't work quite as well? Yeah, but the earth kept rotating on its axis. It was amazing. All of life did not stop because I was out of the game. You know, it's really humbling, but it's a wonderful thing to learn, right? It's hard for us to learn. We want to think of ourselves as completely and utterly indispensable. Uh, Why? Why do we get uh, so busy? Well, sometimes it is pride. There are some other causes that cause us to to, uh, commit and commit and commit and commit and live these frantic lives. Sometimes uh, it's insecurity, right? We begin that comparison game and we become insecure and we need to feel needed, Sometimes it's fear, fear that we're missing out or our kids are missing out. They they need to be artists, musicians, and athletes, and scholars, and they need to go to to A&M or, you know, second best Harvard, but they need (laughs) fear, guilt. I need to make up for things that I did wrong or things that I haven't done. Okay, all those things can drive that. It could be pride, or any of those things. And I want to ask you this morning, are you frantic? Are you just, are you on that treadmill and you're just going, 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 going? I understand that sometimes there are extenuating circumstances in life. And sometimes there's issues in a job or a period of time in your family. Maybe it's extended family where you, you just have to for a period of time. You've got to go. You've got to go. But in the midst of those, you know, God gives grace and he gives this overwhelming sense of peace when we ask for it. Most of the time, though, we are frantic because we've chosen to be so incredibly overcommitted. We've chosen that busyness because something's chasing us. Might be pride, might be fear, might be insecurity, might be guilt. But something is chasing us. And we believe that lie that we are, in fact, indispensable. What's the truth? The truth is this. I'm useful, but I'm not indispensable. God has made me to be used by him and to do really valuable things. But I'm not indispensable. Paul, in in his little world of planting churches, said this. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. In other words, in this process of getting the church established, Paul said, I had a role, Apollos had a role, but there was only one who was indispensable, and that's God. God's the only one who's indispensable. I planted, Apollos watered, God was indispensable. He's the one who made it happen. And God wants to make things happen through you. How do you make your best contribution? I think Philippians 1 is a great illustration. Paul prayed for the Philippian believers. said this. This is what I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. And that last phrase is literally that you may approve the things that differ. That you may have wisdom and insight 
to know these things are just good, but these things are best. And how do you make the greatest impact being the workmanship of God, uniquely created, having relationships and opportunities that no one else has? How do you make the deepest and most lasting impact in life? You say yes to the best and you say no to everything else. And you stop looking at anyone else and what they're doing. Because God's not comparing you to anyone else. He's saying, I made you uniquely and I love you. I approve of you because you belong to my son, Jesus Christ. That's enough. Now go do what I called you to do uniquely. Stop looking around. Just stop it and be free. Okay. How do we apply this? Let me give you just one application point this week, one thing to do. I want you to memorize Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. If you've already memorized it, gosh, you, you, know, you won't be as busy this week. You won't feel as much pressure from me this week to get something done. Okay? Uh, if not, you've got a little pressure. Here you go. You've got to memorize two verses. And as you memorize them, I want you to meditate. What kind of God is it who can make a promise like this? What kind of God is it that can make a promise like this? That in the midst of, of all the pressures that we feel in life and the expectations, we can take all of our burdens to him and he can give us a peace that surpasses all comprehension. Wow, that's an amazingly great, powerful, caring God. Because at the root of it, what it all comes down to when we're living lives that are burdened or enslaved is because we're believing lies. Lies about God, he's not big enough. And so, well, I guess we have to become big. Something's got to become big because God's not big enough. So we're believing lies about God or ourselves or others around us. And what do we need? We need the truth to set us free. So I want you to meditate on the truth this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for moms. We thank you, Father, for the investments that they made in our lives. We thank you, Father, for how they can reflect your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the one who gives us all genuine and true freedom. We do not have to live under the burden of, of not measuring up or worrying that our sins are too great for you to forgive. We know, Father, that we are accepted in you and uniquely created. I pray, Father, we go out of here with a sense of just a joy and freedom in following the path that you've laid out for us, each of us uniquely. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mom, happy Mother's Day. Have a great day.